Going Linux episode 350, listener feedback. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. And I'm your co-host, Bill. Whether you're new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in Going Linux. We hope that you'll find this and all of our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and open source applications and using them to get things done. If you want, you can send us feedback at our email address at goinglinks at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 1-904-468-7889. Today's episode is Listener Feedback. Hey, Bill. Hey, Larry. How's everything going? It is absolutely great. How about you? Going well, going well, work and work. That's about it. Ah, okay. <laughs> well, then I guess you haven't had time to switch from Linux Mint, right? Uh, actually, I don't want to switch from Linux Mint. I kind of uh, like it. Okay. Oh, I'm you st- like it. Good. I'm starting to become more of a fanboy. I thought I was going to... You're becoming minty fresh. Yes, I thought I was <laughs> going to go back to Mate, but uh, the more I use Mint, I'm like, why? I kind of like this and it works and i got all yeah. the settings so it's still running which is you know in upon itself an amazing thing because i you know change distros like i changed socks so uh i'm really enjoying it uh the only thing i did do and uh, i um changed out some uh partitions on my laptop and everything so what i did is i backed up everything to time shift and then did the complete um uh, rework of how I wanted the partition just because I'm weird and I like things a certain way. And I installed uh, Linux Mint uh, into its partition, used Time Shift to bring everything back, and wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, it was done. All right, well, um, that's good. Yes, it worked. It uh, (laughs) was successful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, we were talking about Time Shift. It's uh, a great tool, uh, but it's basically a front end to rsync. That's, you know, so rsync is actually the one that you get to kudos. But uh, so far, uh, it's Mint has run a lot faster. Um, I, I found a few little. Uh, things that um, have made a huge difference like well, it was on a spinning drive but what yeah. I, what I did is I moved uh, I still had to keep uh, a Windows partition for work unfortunately so of course. I moved uh, the, the mint to the um, SSD mm-hmm. and then save it to the um, save programs and apps and stuff like that um, to the hard drive, uh, to the spinning drive. And so now Mint starts up in about, oh, five seconds. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was pretty, uh, I was kind of leery because I've always, I try not to mess with the uh, Windows uh Man, uh, boot manager because it's so finicky. So Mint, Mint handled that uh, really, really, really well. And so there was no air issues like there used to be. So 
very, very happy about that. Anyway, other than that, Mint's doing great. Uh, highly recommend it still. I think I might even give it uh, – It's. I think I said a 4.8 or 4.5. I think I'd probably give it a 4.8 or 4.9 now. It's almost perfect for what I need. <laughs> well, that's good. good. Yes. So anyway, how was your week? Anything exciting? Uh uh, nothing too exciting. I, uh, I, I'm still on Ubuntu Mate and, uh, yes, <laughs> but I did get the ebook version of, um, the, uh, using Ubuntu Mate and its applications, the 18.04 LTS version mm-hmm. of the book. Uh, so the ebook is now up on Amazon and we'll include a link to that in the show notes. So no longer just a, um, uh, ju- just the print book, you can get the ebook too, and the prices are the same as the first edition. So, n- no need to buy the first edition until you're in, unless you're still running seventeen ten. Cool, that's uh, that's awesome. I know you're working on that. By the way, just out of curiosity, did you ever get your uh, uh, other machine back from repair yet? Yes, in fact, I'm running it right now. And uh, just out of curiosity. Did they install Ubuntu back on it? No. <laughs> Windows? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was Windows 10, but I just wiped it and put uh, restored uh, Ubuntu Mate on it. So you just restored it, did it back? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just wiped it and uh, updated. So we're good. No, oh, great. Okay, so this is a listener feedback. So let's jump into the emails. And it looks like I get, okay. I get the first email. So yes, you do. Back in May, received an email from Tom describing his problem suspending his Acer laptop. After we read it on our show, Tom wrote back. He said, "Thank you so much for reading my email. I hate to break it to you, but I was way ahead of you in checking my power settings. The solution, or at least a solution to my suspend problem, was deeper. I don't know where I got the idea, but I downgraded my kernel." to 4.14.9-041409 generic. (laughs) Okay. And suddenly I was able to suspend my laptop again. I don't know if this is the best fix, but it works. Now I just need to figure out how to force Grub to use this kernel version instead of defaulting to the highest version installed on my machine. As always, keep up the good work. So... Thanks for writing us back, Tom. Um, I do have a question for you, Larry. Uh, if you downgrade a kernel, um, is there a way that you can have Grub load that? You'd have to go in and uh, when you just go into the Grub menu and put that and change the kernel number. Yeah, yeah, that's basically it. You okay. have to edit the the Grub settings um, and tell it to use the older kernel as the first one that it tries. Um, well, when you do that, one of the, something that uh, I had to learn because I couldn't figure out why my changes weren't taking place is um, when I use Nan, Nano for to edit the uh, Grub. This works right. for me. Uh, is Once you're done, you have to hit Control-X and then Y, which saves it to the file. And then you have to go in and type sudo upgrade dash uh, grub and then it recombobulates it and it works <laughs> right yes. exactly so there's uh, an article on ask ubuntu that 
details all these steps and we'll include that in the show notes. Also, awesome. Tom, if you haven't figured it out already, we have some show notes for you. Hopefully we're not too late. He's probably already figured it out. He probably has. It's uh, pretty easy to find the answer on, on the internet. But uh, yeah, yeah, you know, just in case. Yeah, before I used to be uh, so scared to mess with those uh, the grub files and stuff. But really, once you start looking at it, it's just a bunch of uh, instructions, and it's and once you get some of the terms down, you understand what it's doing. So, so you can modify it. So yeah, that's you know, good luck with that, Tom. Let us know how it is. And uh, now, the only uh, last question about uh, downgrading a kernel uh, could. It didn't happen to him apparently, but if what happens if say you're using a kernel and then you down, and everything works, but then you downgrade it, downgrade it, and the uh, your wireless stops? Is that you know because they always improve upon driver support and stuff in the kernel? Sure. Uh, that that could be a possibility for anybody thinking about doing that, right? Am I right about that? Or yeah, it's a possibility. If you were using the old kernel to begin with, and everything was working fine, and you end up using a a kernel like Tom did, that that uh, once it was upgraded, something stopped working. Mm -hmm. uh, then downgrading to the previous version is not a problem because it was working before. Oh, okay. and in fact, you know, some Linux distributions recommend that you don't upgrade your kernel unless you absolutely have to have a specific feature that's in the new kernel uh, and you know you run the risk of something else breaking because it was implemented differently in the new kernel so uh, always keep that old kernel around uh, now if the current kernel <laughs> that's provided with the distribution when you install it doesn't get upgraded and you have the latest version available, then you have to go hunt for a, a downgraded kernel and install that. But, you know, again, the recommendation is test it before you blow away the old kernel. Okay. And, um, yeah. So if, if, uh, if, if everything is working fine and you're not changing anything in your hardware, uh, there's really no need to upgrade your kernel because you're not getting any new hardware that the new features of the new kernel will address. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, unless there's a fix to something that wasn't working, you really don't need a new kernel. Okay. All right. Yep. Okay. Well, let's go on to Dan's email. Dan wrote uh, about a big name machine on-site warranty repairs. So <laughs> this is talking about my Dell XPS 13 and the problems I had with the, you know, the on-site repair guy. And um, now I've got my machine back again, or not a repaired machine, but a replacement machine, which is why they sent it to me with Windows, because they had no facility for installing Ubuntu at the warehouse where they store the refurbished machines, I guess. I don't know what the reason was. But anyway, no problem. I can install Ubuntu Mate. I think I've got that down. But here's what Dan wrote. I have worked on-site major brand warranty and third-party warranty PC laptop repairs and wanted to give you insight on how much of the industry works. Some brands, IBM, Sony, Dell, Toshiba, HP, hire large agencies under contract to provide warranty repairs. <laughs> well, I think these guys 
hired a small agency, but uh, all that aside, continuing with Dan's email. These agencies have few, if any, techs working for them. It's too expensive to train and keep good people. Instead, they subcontract to individuals for pennies on the dollar. Well, maybe that's what was happening in my case. Usually $20 an hour or $40 flat fee with on-site and without any expenses paid and run them through a few basic videos and a cursory online test to see if they can read. They are then dispatched on demand, too often without documentation, manuals, or even being told what the symptoms are and or what troubleshooting has been done. And these technicians are under pressure to throw parts at the offending machine in the hopes of making something more than burger-flipping money. When the going rate is as high as $120 an hour for trained technicians, few high-end techs will stick their necks out to do these jobs for busy work. The official way to be a manufacturer-certified tech is having to spend thousands on going to manufacturer-specific on-site training, where we watch marketing, I mean uh, training, videos and have a chance to pay thousands more to take a very involved test and have to maintain certain sales levels in order to qualify. Myself, I do just enough of these to qualify to have my name known to the manufacturer's warranty support division and qualify as a repair tech. When people I know have things that break under warranty or not, I invite them to bring it to me and offer to show them how to maintain the equipment themselves in the spirit of open source. While some take me up on it and learn to maintain and upgrade their own equipment, many are satisfied with paying someone else to fix it. Thanks so much, Dan. That is really insightful. Yeah. (laughs) And exactly what Uh, you experienced. Yes. Um, (laughs) hmm. Now I know how it all works. Well, that's that's horrifying. <laughs> yes, I think that's one career that's out for me. I, I yeah, <laughs> I mean it's pretty it's pretty sad when I could go do that job and no second thought no it's out for me too. No, okay. no, can't I couldn't do that. Uh, I don't like selling stuff. Has Windows? Sorry, can't help you. No, I would be out of work. Yeah. Anyway. Our next email comes from Paul, who wrote to us about his first experience with Linux Mint 19. Hi, Bill and Larry. I downloaded Linux Mint 19 XFCE and installed it on a Dell E5500 Latitude that was running Linux Mint 18.3. Somehow, I lost my clock in the bottom right-hand corner of the panel. The clock application was there, just not displaying. I opened the clock app clicked on properties, selected the time as I wanted to appear, but when I closed the app, the clock disappeared again. I found out that I had to put the code such as percentage in C under the format field, and then the clock would display after I closed the app. After I got the clock running again, I plugged in a flash drive, although the option in removable drives and media mount remove media when inserted was checked the usb drive was never recognized under devices and was never mounted the usb was activated in bios as i loaded linksman 19 xfc using a flash drive i checked the forms and didn't see anything regarding these problems yet i reloaded linksman 18.3 xfc for now 
This is the first disappointing start I've had with Linux Mint, and I support two other family members on Linux Mint. I'm sure it's likely that I have overlooked something somewhere, but Linux Mint 18.3 FXCE mounted a drive I inserted as default. So, Bill, looking forward to hearing your view of Linux Mint 19. Thanks, Paul in Texas. Hmm. That's interesting, Larry. Yeah, this this whole clock uh, issue. There there are a bunch of different codes that you can you know they they all start with percent like mm -hmm. percent A percent D percent B or minus percent D B. Um, all of those um, tell the clock in Linux how to display it. Whether it's twenty four hour clock, whether it's display the uh, the day of the week, the time uh, with seconds or without seconds, all that sort of stuff. So there's a bunch of codes for that. Uh, but that's really not the problem here. The problem is that it wasn't showing. And, yeah. you know, the, the menu, uh, the, the, the whole panel was really sounds like it was a bit corrupted or something. But yeah. anyhow, the yeah, uh, I've read a little bit about panel issues with with Linux Mint and Cinnamon in particular. And there was a bug that I think they've got fixed now. Mm -hmm. So maybe he ran into that bug. And, and perhaps um, if, if, Paul, you didn't do the updates um, or the updates weren't available as, at the time you, um, you installed it, perhaps some future updates would have fixed this for you. Yeah, the, the one thing that I find interesting is that it was XFCE, which is pretty lightweight. And mm -hmm. um, now I don't, like I said, I don't know about the XFC version of Linux Mint 19. I, I'm running the Cinnamon and everything in mine works perfectly. Uh, I haven't had any issues with the interface. But I'm just wondering if it might have been uh, something in uh, an XFCE files you know, or something wasn't set up right or something was overlooked. And then the other, I, I have to look because I don't know. I know when I insert uh, my USB uh, DVD recorder, it sees it and mounts it anytime I put a disc in. You know, it just it, it works perfectly. But I have to see. I thought uh, when I install the um, uh, when I put a like a USB drive. Uh, into it, it shows it, but you have to actually go to the menu and mount it. Right. Uh, and I think they did that to keep people from sliding in. You know, say it's it's sitting there, um, and you're not there. Someone slides in something they want to put on your machine, and your machine's locked. Well, it doesn't automatically mount it. And you know, I, that was a problem back. Oh golly! Many many years ago, with uh, the Windows, you could just pop a USB in there and it would run it. And yeah, you could have an auto run file yeah. in there and it'll run whatever it says to run, whether it's a virus or. You know, I, I wonder if that was set up like that in, um, in the software that it will it displays it because he says, uh, oh, it says his USB was never recognized, hmm, and was never mounted. I don't know. Yeah, being recognized is one thing. Being mounted is another. And yeah. you don't want it to mount by default. No. Um, but on the other hand, uh, if it's not recognized the device, you know, you might want to check your 
your USB port, make sure that it's functional because they die, uh, and the device itself. And another just on a lark is do a checksum against that uh, that disk, the uh, image you downloaded to make sure that it it matches. Because mm-hmm. if it's not complete, it won't match. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, for installing Linux Mint 19, make sure that it's a fully functional version that you've got there. Um, yeah, just some ideas. Yeah, it's yeah exactly. And uh, I, again, updates might fix this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he didn't say what brand of computer. Oh, it is a Dell Latitude. Okay, yeah, um, Dell Latitude 5500. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty common Dell, so I would expect that um, all the drivers should be there to do everything that he wants to do. So, yeah, it it could be an installation problem. It could be one of those bugs that's yeah. In submit a bug Linux report. Nineteen. Yeah, exactly. But make sure you have all your updates first because yes. if the bug is fixed, you should be uh, able to get that. Yep. All right. Okay. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Paul. Uh, yeah, Stefan provided us some feedback. Hello, Larry and Bill. Thank you for your podcast about Linux. I started listening to your podcast in February of 2018. Ooh, a new listener. And after some ad slash strange experiences with Windows 10 on a new laptop, get that, on a new laptop, I decided that my working PC, still running Windows 7, will not get Windows 10. 10. But with the lack of security patches after January of 2020, I need to decide what to do. I have a small Linux server at home, so some experience on the server side, but not running Linux on the desktop. After some tests on an older laptop, I noticed that most of my hardware printer works with Linux. So I set up my working PC with dual boot and still running Windows 7 and Debian 9 GNOME. And now work mostly with Linux. Question, can you give me advice for a Linux software to sync slash backup Apple devices such as iPod and iPad? Keep up the good work. P.S. I live near Stuttgart in Germany. Hmm. Backing up an iPad. Just uh, a technical note. Um, I know some of like... um the media managers like, uh, say, Banshee and uh, some of the others, uh, uh, Clementine, they have it where you can back up um, music. But the problem is um, it doesn't like certain things, or especially if it's got, uh, uh, what is it, uh, the copy protection. Yeah. Yeah, it won't it will not work. And if it's just a plain old MP3 or even an AAC um without that you you purchased, then you should be able to use one of those two programs cuz I've used it to pull off uh from an iPod I've pulled off. Remember this the Zune? I had one of those a long time mm-hmm. ago. Oh yeah. It was given Absolutely. to me as a gift yeah. and I used a uh, uh, I think it was Clementine to um, back up the music, but if it has uh, those protected or has copy protection on those files, it will not work. Right. Yeah. And I know um, listening to Leo Laporte from time to time, mm-hmm. I know there's a program. It used to be called iTunes Match. 
mm-hmm. where you could upload all your email, all, all of your music, and it would convert it all to unprotected, high quality. I think it was one twenty eight or two fifty six bit uh, uh, files, and then you could download them as uh, unprotected ah. versions of the music. Um, so that would be one way to get around that issue. And then you would just use the media software that comes with Debian 9 or install one of your choosing and use that to back up the music. If you actually want to back up the entire device, you're going to have to use a Macintosh computer to do that. I don't even think the Windows version of iTunes does that backup anymore. I, I could be wrong. I haven't used Windows in a while. Uh, but you're, you'll either have to use iTunes on Windows or plug it into your to a Macintosh to do that entire backup the entire device thing. Oh yeah, um, that makes sense. And yeah, exactly because it's proprietary. The hardware is proprietary. The software is proprietary, and backing up hardware devices that make it difficult for you to get to the innards of them is mm-hmm. not something that. Uh, any Linux developer is going to spend their time doing unless it's absolutely critical for them personally. And then they might do it. But I haven't heard of anyone having anything to do that. And uh, let's turn it over to the minions. If somebody out there is aware that there's a a uh, device that can back up or uh, that there's software that can back up an entire iPod or iPad, uh, then... Let's let's hear about it. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking maybe something like DD might be able to do that. That's a command line backup. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe um, something like Clonezilla, which is a graphical front end to DD and other programs that do backups. Maybe that would do it, but I'm not sure. I've never tried it. Well, you could do, you remember about, what was it, about three years ago that I got frustrated with all the different formats ahead and I converted everything over to AUG? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. That was a, that was a long process, but uh, I, it just it reminds me, uh, I, I can feel this pain because, you know, certain things I couldn't uh, play and, you know, the prote- that whole protective format. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Would DD be able to, because isn't that a, like a protected partition where they store all those, that music? I don't know. It, it may be, uh, yeah. but DD's pretty, um, uh, get down to the, I don't know if it gets down to the bare metal, but it, it goes pretty deep into okay. the file system and, and does some, some pretty, good things for just ripping out whatever's on there and putting it onto some, you know, some other device somewhere. So it might just work, but I've never tried it. Can't speak to it. And hopefully someone in our going Linux community of minions can help us. And you're right. Do not upgrade to Windows 10. Stay with seven. <laughs> Very. Oh yeah. Yeah. Even if you continue to run windows, just stick with seven. Yeah. Don't go 10. Believe me. Uh, we won't get into it, but yes, yeah, stay with seven as long as you can. So our next email comes from James and he is seeking help with a Lexmark X9575 multifunction printer from any and all minions. And he writes, try as I might, the Windows software that came with the X9575 printer refuses to install. 
and he gives the link to the Lexmart website. Uh, it does not show any Linux possibilities or no apps, utilities uh, for download. Open printing and uh, Guten print uh, both say the printer is a paperweight, no Linux drivers available. Disregarding scanner and fax functions, has anyone found generic printer settings that would work to just print documents or PDF files? James in Indiana. Uh, Larry, this one's all yours. <laughs> well, I can tell you, if OpenPrint and Gutenberg call it a paperweight, it's pretty paperweight. unlikely that you're going to find anything to make this thing work. Maybe you could go into the old school Unix way of setting up a printer and use LP and all that, uh, yeah. those command line ways of setting it up to just print with a generic driver. But it's not going to be a happy way of getting things going. So, yeah, uh, my recommendation, and I have already said this to, to James, is next time you go buy a printer, make sure you check out its Linux compatibility first. Yeah. Lexmark is one of those companies that has quite a few of their printers that do not work with Linux. Some do, but many of them are like this with a proprietary configuration that just there's no way to get it to work on Linux or Unix or BSD or anything that comes from the Unix family. Yeah, I just don't understand. I can understand if some of maybe the multifunctions don't work. Or, yeah. But, you know, how, I mean, they you know they're doing it on purpose. It's got to be. Of course. They're yeah. just, you should be able to print, uh, send a print job over to it. Uh, and it just, that's why uh, closed source hardware and software is just a pain and, and it's really a problem. Because, I mean, he's, I'm sure that thing wasn't cheap when he bought it. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, probably, you know, 80, 100 bucks, whatever. But it's still, it's like, you know, you should be able to run something that you bought. And even if it's at a base level, it should still be able to print <laughs> a text. It's just me. Exactly. It's just me. But uh, I just, um, the more the more I see, the more I, I just detest closed source software and hardware and these proprietary drivers because they're just making things so difficult. It's just ridiculous. Uh, I feel your pain. <laughs> yeah, in some cases, it's the developers are too lazy or too disinterested in Linux to even develop a driver. But when they go to the extreme of making it a proprietary system and not allowing the community, the Linux community, to develop drivers for it, that's just going out of their way to make it difficult. Well, I will... Uh... When he was talking about this proprietary drivers, there's one that something popped in my mind, and and you tell me if this one did not drive you crazy. Wind modems. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh. yes. Modems that would only work with Windows. Yes, yes. no matter what right. you tried. Oh, they and, and a lot of times they didn't like to work in Windows. <laughs> they, oh, that's true. They were yeah, horrible. That was true. Horrible. Never could get one to work in Linux. Anyway. All right, well, let's get back on to uh, <laughs> uh, non-Microsoft. Uh, oh, no, this this final email is from James. He wrote about a new Debian variant and a question about Skype. I thought we were going to get off of Microsoft topics. Anyway, um, so the new Debian variant is called DevOne. That's relatively new. And it does not reply on System D. 
Hmm. Um, so he's got a link to the Dev One website, which we'll include in the show notes just for completeness. Uh, it allows a person a choice of desktops. I am using XFCE as well as stable and fast. I am using it right now my on my older Lenovo ThinkPad T500. Would you and any of your minions have any suggestions for video chat conference software? Uh, Skype Web for Linux does not support video calls and looks like neither does the Skype plugin for Pigeon IM client. Hmm. Okay. So uh, two things. If you need to talk to people with Skype, uh, there is a Skype Snap uh, that's available. So you would need to install SnapD on your DevOne device uh, if it supports snaps. Uh, and then you can type in sudo snap install skype dash dash classic. Uh, so that's that's one possibility. There's also a beta Skype for Linux. You might want to search for that. Uh, the Ubuntu version might work on uh, Debian itself. Yeah. Uh, so that that might be another option for you. But um, yeah, so if if it's just plain Skype, then perhaps that will work for you. If it's Skype for business, that's a whole other issue. Uh, Isn't that's it conferencing always? Software. Yes, of course. Uh, that's web-based conferencing software that even if you're on a Macintosh machine, uh, Skype for uh, business really doesn't work all that well. If you're using Chrome or Firefox on a Mac and you're trying to work, sometimes it, Skype for Business doesn't work and you have to use, um, you know, even, even their web client, uh, you have to use Safari uh, in order to get that to work. So I haven't had a lot of success um, using Linux to do that sort of thing. And, and oftentimes with this conferencing software, even after you... Um, uh, get it working, you can't do some of the special uh, additional features like screen sharing or starting a call. <laughs> you know, you could you can participate in a call, you just can't start one, things like that. So the uh, I've got a couple of proprietary suggestions for you as alternatives to Skype. One is Google Hangouts. Uh, and Google Hangouts allows you to run from Chrome quite well, the Chrome browser, and you can do everything there that you need to do. Um, and you could try the personal free version of uh, GoToMeeting. Um, yeah, so th those are a couple of proprietary, proprietary solutions that work. Of course, they won't work with Skype. Uh, we'll, we'll do a little background um, digging and see if there are some other yeah. alternatives out there that might actually work on a on a non-proprietary system like Linux. Well, he also, he in his email, he said, uh, uh, would, would we or any of our minions have any suggestions for video chat conference software? Uh, and uh, you just covered the, uh, you know, possible Linux, uh, well, Google Hangouts, I've never had good luck uh, with, um, but uh, it was choppy and we had problems. 
getting it to work. But the uh, what about Discord? Discord works quite well, as yeah. you and I know, because we're using it right now. Um, that's that's a nice. It's nice. That's a nice one. Yeah, uh, it's it's designed originally for gamers, but you don't have to be a gamer to use it. Yeah, well, we're using it. Well, I'm a gamer, but you. Well, how about wasn't there a problem called something like called Sparkle Share that would integrate uh, Skype support? I don't know. Oh, okay. I know Spar. I I know about. Uh, I've I've heard the name Sparkle Share, but I've never looked into it or, okay. or tried it. Um, there are a couple of other open source Linux compatible installable sharing software. Uh, Tox T O X is one. Slack that's another one, um, and that's cross platform. Uh, let's see, um, Signal. Yeah, I've heard of Signal. One. Wire. Yeah, let's see Mumble. Oh yeah, um, I don't know if it, I don't know if it's gotten any easier to set up. Probably uh, not. Jitsi, that's more of a SIP solution. Um, so you need some special stuff there, like a SIP server. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just reading from the alternative to website right now. Uh, Riot.im, never heard of that one. Mattermost, I've heard about that. That's an alternative to Slack. Might work as well. There's a program called Ring, not to be confused with the Ring doorbell, uh, but uh, Ring is a voice and video chat. Viber, V-I-B-E-R. Lin Phone, another voice over IP. TeamSpeak, Matrix.org, something called Franz. Uh, Emperor Franz of Austria. Hmm. Anyway, never heard of that yeah. one either, but all of these appear to be at least, if not completely cross-platform with Windows and Mac, uh, at least uh, partly. And some of them have mobile clients as well for Android. And yeah. I don't see any of these have... Uh, oh, yeah, some of them have iPhone support as well. So there you go. Okay, well, well at least you've given some avenues to look into. Yeah, and you might want to look in alternative2.net. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. So, yeah, pretty much good luck with that list. Know what you think. Thanks, James. Thanks. Okay, and that's it for today. Uh, Our next episode, Bill, are we going to have another Linux review, do you think? Yes, we we are. I've already finished the review of it, and I just haven't written it up. But, yes, we're going to have another Linux review. Okay, are you going to tell us which uh, Of course, it's Pingai 18.04 LTS. Okay, cool. Looking forward to that. Yes. Until then, go to our website at goinglinks.com for articles and show notes, as well as links to download and subscribe. We are the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done. If you'd like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Links podcast Google Plus community. Until next time, thanks for listening. 73. music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.